Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 21 and following. You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder, and all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot. They will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister, then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they will haul you before the judge. The judge will turn you over to the officer of the court, and you will be thrown in prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there till you pay the very last penny. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. So for the season of Lent, our theme is restoration. Restoration. As in, like when you restore an old house or an old car or an old piece of furniture. And we're using the cross as a metaphor, as a, as a symbol, as a theological statement, as the place, as the way that God heals our brokenness, how God picks up the broken pieces of our lives and makes us new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone in Christ is a new creation, the old is past, the new has come. We've literally been gathering up, as you see around us, uh, junk from curbs, and that's kind of metaphor for our junk, not literal junk, but, but the junk in our lives, the broken stuff, the worn out stuff, the embarrassing stuff, the stuff that seems to no longer have any value at all. And we're using the cross as a symbol for our redemption, our restoration, somehow believing the words, by his wounds we are healed, are true. So we're talking about all the different ways we experience brokenness in our life. And one of those places, one of those particularly fragile parts of our lives is in the realm of relationships. It's between us and other people that brokenness often happens. It's just inevitable. If you spend time with other humans, you're not a a monk living by himself on a mountain, right? If you have any interaction with other people, inevitably at some point there's going to be some degree of relational friction. You get tired of their bad jokes, right? You get tired of hearing their opinions all the time. You've noticed their bad breath and it offends you. Or they've noticed your bad breath and it offends them. Sometimes we step on each other's toes, literally or metaphorically. 
Sometimes words we say or said to us are misunderstood. Now, most of the time, we get over it, right? We move on. It's no big deal. We forgive and we forget. We learn how to accept each other's sort of idiosyncrasies, each other's quirks, each other's foibles. And sometimes they actually become a little endearing, sometimes. But sometimes, in relationship, feelings get hurt, right? Right? Am I the only one? Right? Sometimes in relationships, there's betrayal. Sometimes in relationship, trust gets broken. Sometimes relationships are broken. Now, here's the thing. We, we believe theologically, are made for relationship. God created us for relationship. We need relationship. The Bible says that we're made in the image and likeness of God. Well, who is God? We say God is a trinity. Three relationships in in mutual respect and love and unity. So we say we have one God and three persons. We're created in the image and likeness of God who is love. God is love. God is self-giving love. And God created us with that same capacity for relationship and love. Then in Genesis chapter 2, when God creates the human, Adam, and puts them in the garden, and they're going to live in this kind of perfect environment forever, God said, not the human, God said, it's not good that the human is alone, which is a remarkable admission from God, I think, right? Here there is this perfect spiritual relationship in this perfect place, and God steps back and realizes this isn't quite enough. This human will need someone to share their life with, right? From the very beginning, God said, we will need, humans will need relationships with people that they can see and touch and hear. In fact, there's actually a direct correlation. Our spiritual relationship with God is, of course, of primary importance, but there's a direct and corresponding relationship to the way we relate to others. Have you ever noticed that when you're alienated from other people, God seems far away, or maybe vice versa. It's because there's a connection. The way we love each other is the way we love God. The way we love God is the way we love each other. They are interconnected. And even in the perfect creation, God recognized that he wasn't sufficient for us, that we needed each other, that we would experience God through each other. Ironically, one of the very first psalms I ever learned was not in church. It was in my fraternity, a place of relationship. As part of our initiation ritual, we read Psalm 133, verse 1. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. When kindred live together in unity. Uh, Dallas Willard wrote in his spiritual classic, The Renovation of the Heart, the human self requires rootedness in others. And Vivek Murthy, who is the the Surgeon General of the United States, wrote a book called Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. And he says, we're hardwired for connection. I think those are interesting. Dallas Willard, a theologian, we're made for a relationship. Vivek Murthy, a doctor, we're made for connection. We need people. Spiritually, we need people. Physiologically, we need people. Humans need humans. 
right? In fact, that's the way the, the world has existed from the beginning, and even most of the world today, that people live in families or in clans or in tribes, that we function as societies collectively. Even in the United States where we seem to celebrate the rugged individualist, right? Independence. We still know that we need each other. We, we need coworkers. We need teammates. We, we connect with our neighbors. That's why we come to church. It's largely relational. Somebody told me that one time. We don't come for your sermons. We come for our friends. I get it. I get it. Right? But I'm paid to give sermons. So, you know. <laughs> Thomas Burton once said, every other person is a piece of myself. For I am part and a member of humankind. Every Christian is part of my own body because we're members of Christ. What I do is also done for them and with them and by them. What they do is done in me and by me and for me. And the poet John Donne once said, No man is an island, entire of himself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. We're made for to be interdependent in our relationships with each other. None of us are an island, even introverts like me. None of us are an island. We need each other. And think about it for a moment. Is there any blessing you have received in life that's greater than the love of somebody you're in a relationship with? Can you think of any greater blessing than your best friend? Can you think of any greater blessing than your spouse if you're married? Can you think of any greater blessing than the relationship between a parent and a child? This is what we live for, each other, right? And maybe that's why it hurts so bad when relationships are broken. Because they mean so much to us, when the relationship is damaged, it hurts even more. Is there any heartbreak as great is the heartbreak caused by someone we love. Often it's the people we know the best who hurt us the most. What, what a stranger does or says hardly affects me at all. A stranger can walk up to me and tell me I'm a jerk, and I, I, what do I care? I don't know who they are, right? But if somebody I know tells me I'm a jerk or worse, well, that might affect me, Right? In relationships, we experience the most profound joy and sometimes the most awful pain. Sometimes it's the pain of a relationship that stings the longest and the deepest. But I want you to hear this. Please, if you don't hear anything else, I hear this. Broken relationships can be healed. With God's help, Broken relationships can be healed and sometimes can become even stronger. I think it's impossible to talk about how we heal broken relationships without coming up with the topic, talking about the subjects of, of repentance and forgiveness. Repentance is saying I'm sorry, right? Apology and forgiveness. We just have to talk about these topics. And I will throw in reconciliation. I don't know about you, but when somebody's hurt me, Sometimes forgiveness is the last thing I want to do. The last thing I want to do is forgive someone, right? Sometimes forgiving somebody that's hurt us feels impossible, right? We know theologically, spiritually is what we're supposed to, but how am I supposed to forgive them now after they did this, right? How am I supposed to forgive a person like that? We might actually say the words, oh, I'm sorry, but do we mean it? 
Or we might actually say the words, it's okay, it's no big deal, but do we really mean it? Because sometimes we just hold on to that stuff. I mean, we've said the words of forgiveness, we've said the words of reconciliation, but the truth is we carry around in our heart some anger, some bitterness, and sometimes that can turn into a, an infected wound, a festering infected wound. Isn't that gross? Think of that image, a festering infected wound. That's what I want you to think of today with unforgiveness. That if we don't do the work of healing it, it just continues to deepen and grow and become more infected. And isn't this true? Sometimes not forgiving someone feels powerful. I'll decide if you get forgiven, right? You hurt me, and that made me feel powerless, so I'm going to hold on to my power and not forgive you, right? Anybody ever done that? Don't have to admit it. In fact, forgiveness feels like weakness. To say, I forgive you, in some ways, feels like I'm letting them off the hook. I'm saying what you did to me was okay, and that's just not true. The truth is that not forgiving perpetuates the pain. And ultimately, sometimes, not forgiving ultimately hurts me, right? The other person may not even know that I'm offended. They may not know why I've distanced myself. And I'm carrying around this wound. I'm paying the price. The festering wound of unforgiveness eats at us from the inside out. There's an old quote, I don't know who said it, but it goes like this. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping your enemy will die from it. You got it? Unforgiveness is like me drinking poison, hoping my enemy dies from it. That's senseless, right? And yet that's what unforgiveness is like. It's like a poison eating its way inside of us. Now let me be very clear. When I talk about forgiving someone, forgiveness is not sweeping the offense under the rug. It's not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is not saying that the hurt was acceptable. It's not saying that. Forgiveness is not the same as restored trust. I'll say more about that in a minute. Forgiveness is not a promise to forget what happened. I don't think we ever can. Forgiveness is not weakness. In fact, forgiveness is powerful. And forgiveness is certainly not taking the blame. Oh, it's my fault. Don't worry about it. No, it's not. Forgiveness is assigning the blame where it belongs and saying I'm not going to hold it against you. One of my favorite quotes about, Frederick is about forgiveness is by Frederick Buechner. He says this, To forgive somebody is to say one way or another, you have done something unspeakable. And by all rights, I should call it quits between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although I make no guarantees that I will be able to forget what you've done, and though we both may carry scars for life, I refuse to let it stand between us. I still want you for my friend. I still want you for my friend. Or what would we substitute for the word friend? I still want you to be my son. I still want you to be my daughter. I still want you to be my mother. I still want you to be my father. I still want you to be my partner. I still want you to be my spouse. I still want you. I still want a relationship 
with you. So in that long passage of scripture I read earlier, Jesus talks about forgiveness, but he assumes in this particular passage that we're the one that needs forgiveness. That sometimes we're the offending party. And so he gives a scenario. Imagine you're on your way to the temple to take your animal sacrifice. I'll say more about that in just a moment. He says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. So let's just try to imagine the scenario for a moment. Imagine we live in, in biblical times, and imagine we're a Jew who's bringing an animal sacrifice to the temple to be sacrificed on the altar. Now, why did they do that? To be reconciled with God. Knowing that maybe there's been something in my life that has alienated God, I've been my sin, and so my animal sacrifice was supposed to take care of that. By this gift to the temple and to God, I now am reconciled to God. But, but Jesus says, now wait a minute. If your goal is to be reconciled with God and you're walking along, heading to the temple, carrying your lamb or your goat or whatever it might be, and it occurs to you that there is somebody that has something against you. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's somebody you did a business deal with. Maybe it's a neighbor. Jesus says, before you finish your sacrifice at the altar, you need to go to them and make it right. You need to go to them and apologize. You need to go to them and own up to your fault and ask for forgiveness. Then come back to the temple to be reconciled with God. Do you see that? If you want reconciliation with God, good. Make sure first you've done your work of reconciliation with each other. Doesn't that sound a lot like the prayer we prayed earlier, the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses, how? As we forgive those who trespass against us, right? Trespass means sin. Forgive us our sin. God, please forgive me as I've forgiven others. God say, yeah, come to the temple, be reconciled, but do the work of reconciliation with others. Here we go back to the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Keep working on both. Keep working on both. Don't live in hostility with your neighbor and try to be in harmony with God. You got to work out both. Let me make this clear. Forgiveness ultimately is about the relationship. God made us for relationship. And when there is conflict between us, when there's bad feelings between us, when you hold something against me or I hold something about against you, we're not living in that loving relationship that God created us for. And just as a physical wound can be healed with care and attention, so can our relationships. Rachel Held Evans once wrote, love tears down the wall. Sometimes we build walls between us, right? I'm mad at you, there's a wall. Love tears down the walls and it beckons us out into the wild lands of human existence. I love that phrase, the wild lands of human existence. I think she's saying that if you wanna be in relationship with people, get used to messiness. 
Get used to having your toes stepped on. Get used to your relationships being a little untidy sometimes. Get used to your relationships even being a little bit wild. Two weeks ago, I introduced you to a, an ancient Japanese practice called kintsugi. Kintsugi is when they take an old piece of porcelain that has broken by accident and they pull it back together with lacquer and gold, but the gold is used for no purpose other than to accentuate the places of brokenness. It doesn't hide the brokenness, it celebrates it, right? And I said even, even though it's been broken, oftentimes the kintsugi repaired piece of porcelain is more valuable than it was before it was broken. That's a value in the Japanese culture. It's part of a Zen Buddhist tradition called wabi-sabi. Can anybody say wabi-sabi? It's just fun to say. Wabi-sabi in Zen Buddhism embraces rustic simplicity. It accepts that there is beauty in life, even in irregularity, even in imperfection, even in brokenness. Well, it seems to me that if we're going to have successful relationships, we have to find a way of appreciating a little wabi-sabi. That in our relationships, there is messiness. There is brokenness. And that sometimes we can find beauty in it. We have to learn how to be in relationship, to accept each other's imperfections, to accept our own imperfections. Because imperfect people have a tendency to bring their imperfections into relationships, right? And so I bring all of my imperfections and you bring all of your imperfections and we figure out how to be in relationship together. Now, my goal, of course, anytime I preach one of these sermons, anytime I explain one of these scriptures, is not that we just say, oh, that was nice, thank you, and we go, go, go on about our lives. If we're going to apply this passage from Jesus today, that if we're going to come to the altar with our offering, that if we know somebody has something against us, that we need to go to them, what would that mean for us here today? Maybe it means before you head to that door, you head to another person in the room and you say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Or maybe it means before you leave your seat, you pull out your phone and you text somebody. You say, I'm sorry, can we talk? Or maybe when you get home this afternoon, it's time for a phone call or to write a letter or send an email or have a conversation with somebody in your household to say, I love you. And I don't want us to be separated like we have been. I'm asking your, for, your forgiveness. Can we restore our relationship? Now, before I conclude this morning, I, I do want to say one more cluster of things. Now, I've said repeatedly this morning that the goal, obviously, ultimately, is restoring the relationship, fixing what's broken between us. But there are times when the relationship itself can't be healed, but forgiveness still has a value, right? You follow what I'm saying? Like the, forgive, the forgiveness, the unforgiveness I'm, I'm carrying around in my heart is serving no purpose. So even if I can't restore the relationship, I still need to do the work of the forgiveness so I can get rid of that stuff. So I just want to make a couple comments. When you are the person needing forgiveness from another, when you are the one that did wrong, 
and you need forgiveness for somebody else, I want you to remember these things. One, apologizing, no matter how sincere it is, doesn't mean your apology will be accepted. Do it anyway. Right? How, many, how, how often do we not apologize? Well, they won't, they won't even, they won't hear it. They won't accept it. Doesn't matter. You do the work. You do the work. You take the step. Second, if the relationship cannot be restored, that's tragic. It's sad. You may need to grieve that relationship to accept that it's over. You may need to grieve what you did to cause the damage that ended the relationship. Grief is a process of coming to acceptance of a painful thing, a painful loss. And three, once trust is broken, if I did something to break your trust, once trust is broken, trust is hard to be rebuilt. I, as the one who broke your trust, cannot say to you, well, trust me, I said I'm sorry. My job is to earn back your trust, and that takes time. I've dug myself into a deep hole if I've broken your trust. It takes time to regain it and build it back. Now, here's the second part. When you're the one needing to heal, when you're the one that's going to be the one doing the forgiving, remember these things. One, you don't have to receive an apology to forgive. Sometimes we wait to forgive. Well, they haven't apologized. Forget it. You apologize. You forgive. If the apology comes, great. You forgive. The other person may never apologize. Number two, the person who hurt you may never take responsibility for what they did. That also doesn't mean you can't forgive. You need to forgive to get the the acid, the, the poison out of your heart. Three, forgiving is not the same as trusting. If somebody has violated your trust, you might be able to forgive them, you might be able to restore the relationship, but that doesn't mean that you automatically ought to trust them. If they've hurt you before, they might hurt you again. It might mean that you need to have a little better boundaries in that relationship going forward until they've earned back your trust. And finally this, if the person is not reachable, right? If this person who hurt you, that you're carrying around all this anger and bitterness, If they're not reachable, maybe they've moved away and you don't know how to find them. Maybe they're dead. It's quite possible to be very angry at a dead person. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If it's not possible to even reach them, to communicate your desire to reconcile, ask God God to give you the grace to forgive them anyway. You need that to be freed of that so that you can begin healing. So as we wrap up, Who are the people you need to reconcile with? Either because you hurt them or they hurt you. Who's who's come to mind as I've been speaking this morning? What are the broken relationships in your life that, that need repair? Who do you need to forgive for the sake of the relationship and your own healing? And what are you gonna do about it? Ask God for the grace. Begin the work of healing your relationships today hope you will. Let's pray. Oh God, what a, what a precious gift you give us in people. People that we know, people that we love, people we've laughed with and cried with and worked with, people we've shared our hearts with, people that we feel deep connections with. What a gift that is. 
And yet sometimes, Lord, those people hurt us so deeply. Teach us how. Give us your grace so that we can be forgiving people, that we can be gracious people, that we can be wabi-sabi people. And help us, Lord. Help us deal with the unforgiveness in our hearts. Help us deal with the brokenness in our relationships. Remind us day by day that whatever our brokenness is, by your wounds, we are healed. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.